Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about combat. We're talking about combat systems, how they work, why they're so popular, all these different aspects of good and maybe some bad combat systems. And we're talking to Jason Smith and Jason Samuda from Gold Cauldron Games. Jason's, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Gabe. It's, it's been a pleasure. I've been a fan of your show for a long time, and I'm finally on your show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. And so to make this easy for people to kind of understand and make it easier for the interview, I'm going to call Jason Smith, I'll call you Jason, and Jason Zamuda, I'll call you Zamuda, and that way, you know, I don't say, Jason, what do you think? And then both of you talk at the same time. <laughs> so that'll hopefully make it a little bit easier to kind of keep track of things. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about combat. You've got some some really cool ideas in the works. You've got a cool game called Arise that you've been working on. You've got an interesting combat system. I was really intrigued by, by it, you know, as we were talking through it before we started recording. So I want to get to that in just a little bit. But first, how did you guys get into game design? How did you, you know, start working together, start a company, all, all that kind of thing? Jason, we'll hear from you first. Well, for me, I, I probably got started like a lot of other people in board games. Uh, as a kid, we didn't have too many options. And I have an older brother that uh, would challenge me a lot on, on, uh, on strategy-based games that were abstract, such as chess and Stratego. Um, and he'd always win. And I was kind of on a quest to, to find games that I could play and probably beat him at. And it was when I was at college that I was introduced to Settlers of Catan. Um, and that really opened the doors for me. And then finally, I was introduced to Will Wheaton's uh, podcast, oh, excuse me, his, uh, his YouTube video, uh, videos that he would have of uh, Tabletop. And from there, I just became addicted, you know, finding new games uh, to play and to learn and so forth. And eventually, I uh, moved to the city that uh, we're in right now, which is uh, just outside of Boise. And I was introduced to Zamuda um, through church. And through that, uh, we became acquainted, started playing games, and we participated in a game design competition. And he, he pulls out this one game that he's been working on for what, the past five years, and we were just kind of blown away by it. And so we used that as the uh, the backbone of our uh, game design competition that we had, had uh, participated in. Very cool. So, Muda, how'd you get in, into it? Well, so there was no real getting into board games for me. I've been um, designing board games, I think, my entire life. Um, so it, board games have always been a way for me to step deeper into the story, Um that's why theme is so important because it's like I, I loved hearing stories or um, I, I was a history major in college because I just enjoyed absorbing those stories and things that happened. And um, gaming is a way to kind of like live that more actively because reading it is very passive. You don't have an impact. Um, so I think early on, I would just create games that to play with my brother. Um, we kind of created something that was like D&D before we knew what D&D was, um, which was kind of fun to compare notes uh, we were influenced by video games, which were influenced by D&D. So we are kind of using the result of uh, the inspiration that was inspiring us in a circular fashion. So 
Um, I don't know if that made sense, but <laughs> um, so that's kind of my whole life. I've been making games and my poor brother, he um, had to demo every game I made until he hit a um, breaking point in adolescence where he refused to test my games anymore. And I don't blame him. They were mostly awful, but um, eventually I did get married and uh, my poor wife didn't realize she was signing up to replace him. So um, yeah, she's been my number one game tester. And I, I remember the first time that someone really enjoyed, really legitimately enjoyed a game that I had made was uh, about 12 years ago. And it was the third game of mine that she was testing. And I could see it in her face, she was really having fun and she was starting to really strategize what she was gonna do next. And that was like, that's one of my top feelings I've had in life is that, uh, that reward. But um, yeah, it was interesting. I moved to this area, uh, to the Boise, Idaho area a couple of years ago. And um, I uh, got involved in the church and that's how I met um, Jason. And someone's like, uh, I mentioned that I like board games. That's a hobby of mine. Someone said, well, there's another Jason that also made a game. I'd never interacted with anyone else who had uh, designed a game or was another game designer. And so um, he he busted out on a game night and he just showed us. I was like, oh my gosh, you made this. And it was a good looking prototype and it was kind of inspiring. And then I said, well, you know what? I I made a game and I why don't I go home and grab it? And I uh, went and got it and bought it out and everyone had a really great time. We stayed up way later than we should have playing it. We were up until about 4 a.m. when we all knew we had to get up at seven the next morning. So um, yeah, that's kind of the, <laughs> that's the, that's the, I guess the background that leads us up to uh, right now. Awesome. And I can definitely relate with uh, your spouse, you know, maybe not knowing what they were signing up for when they walked down the aisle as far as the, they were going to be the number one play tester. My wife's right. been amazing for that. And, and some, something about it, man, she, she beats me 90 something percent of the time. Like it's, it's like ridiculous. Like I made the game. I know all the ins and outs and strategies and yet she beats me all the time. And then she gets mad if she loses because it's so rare. You know, it's, it's just such a, she got super upset the day because like we played one game we probably played 20 times and I had never won a single time. And I beat her finally the other night and she got upset. Like she's like, Oh, you know, I don't even like this game anymore. <laughs> well, I got two, yeah, two faults to that. One is um, that's been a really interesting phenomenon that I've taken my game to uh, conventions and seen people play it better than I do. And that blows me away because I think I made it. I should know everything about it, but it's kind of like a different skill designing a game as opposed to knowing how to exploit rules and like really master a game. Um, but your, your comment on your wife getting upset with you. Um, it's interesting because I used to make competitive games. I don't make competitive games anymore. All the games I make are cooperative because it's way better on my marriage. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way, way to look at it. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's jump into the topic at hand. Talking about combat systems. And this is a very, very broad topic. This, this is probably one of the biggest topics, one of the broadest topics I've ever done. And so we're going to try to focus on different things, but we're not going to cover everything. Uh, but we're going to try to just kind of hit different key points, different types of systems, you know, different things, input randomness, output randomness, you know, cards, dice, all the different things. But before we get into it, what, what does that even mean, combat system? So Jason, what do, you, what do you think? When you think a combat heavy game or a combat driven game, what does that even mean? Well, I definitely think that there needs to be some type of conflict and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, physical. Uh, I, I look at uh, one of my favorite RPGs is, is Fate. I don't know if everyone's familiar with that. But I got introduced to Fate and fell in love with it, not because of the physical combat system that was in there, but there was a social combat system where you were struggling together to uh, on some type of social issue. Um, and it was just brilliant. The way that it felt, the way that it, it, it immersed me into that world was, was just thrilling. I, I, you know, you get that, 
your heart rate starts to, to go up and you just kind of get excited about what's going on. And so I think for combat systems to me, yeah, definitely there needs to be some type of conflict and it just needs to, to pull you in and to immerse you to become something that you, you wouldn't normally do in real life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking kind of along those lines, Zamuda, why do you think combat systems are so popular? I mean, if you look on your game shelf, I, well over half, maybe 75%, maybe more uh, of the games on any, anybody's shelf has combat in some way. Maybe like you're saying, it's not a physical, you know, fist fighting or, or shooting at each other, but there's some kind of conflict. There's some kind of combat involved. Why do you think people are drawn to combat in board games or video games? Well, I think the combat represents the things coming to a head. It's like you do all the preparation you can, you get ready, you strategize, you set it up as best you can, and then you commit to the combat. And then you deal with the fallout. And I think that that kind of represents how people live their lives, right? They prepare for certain uh, challenges or conflicts or engagements, and then they deal with the fallout, and people kind of cycle through that. I think games kind of um, allow you to do that within a little controlled and safe uh, microverse. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I teach in my English class is if you break down a story to its just barest essence, really it's two things. It's conflict and resolution. And it's the way you, you as a storyteller are, are able to kind of manipulate those things in certain ways to create uh, interesting scenarios and interesting situations. And, and, you know, it's conflict and resolution. And that could be literal conflict of you know people on a battlefield shooting at each other. Or it could just be, you know, you're in 1800s uh, England and the high society folks are, are trying to do different things with their reputations and trying to, you know, gossip and rumors, all that kind of thing. Like that's also common. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, combat, whether it's a physical or mental or spiritual or, or verbal, whatever, it just creates interesting tension, right? Which creates interesting stories. And now, Jason, what, what do you think? Why, why do you think people are drawn to this? You know, a moment ago, we were talking about uh, being able to escape, right? And maybe power fantasies and things like that. You can kind of be someone that you aren't normally in real life. And so like, what do you think along those lines really draws people into these combat heavy games? I, I think it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, we have all these superhero movies that are coming out and, and other type of uh, movies where we're really immersed into these characters and we, we want to play them in real life. We want to be them, but we know that we have limitations, not only physical limitations, but there's some moral implications as well that we have to uh, abide by. But I mean, I'm looking on my shelf and I see uh, Mighty Boards games, uh, the, their game Vengeance. I would never be that kind of person in real life, but to play it, which is this, uh, the game is you are this person that's been wronged. And by some gangs where you maybe your legs have been broken, maybe your hand has been uh, uh, a finger has been cut off or whatnot, and you are going like old boy style uh, to to defeat the uh, the gangs and and get your payback. I mean, it's just it's it's fun to think about and to to kind of immerse yourself into. But I would never go down that line, you know. And so, but having a game that's able to do that to fuel that that type of uh, um, I wouldn't say fantasy. Because again, I'm not trying to fantasize that I'm that, that character and that I, I want to be that kind of character, but it's just kind of fun to play that out um, knowing that it's only fiction. Yeah, absolutely. And people want to escape. You know, if your day job, uh, I remember Herman Lutman came on the show a while back. He's a guy that designed Dawn of the Zeds. And he talks mm-hmm. about how he, he's, a, he's an accountant in his daily, you know, daily job. 
And when he comes home, he doesn't want to play a Euro game because he just feels like he's just back at the office doing more counting. And so he wants to play a game where he's shooting stuff and blowing things up and he gets to do the exact opposite of what he spent all day doing. And out of that came Dawn of the Zeds, one of the you know kind of most thematic, you know, rolling dice and blowing up zombies kind of game that, that's ever been made. And I think he's in the same boat as a lot of other people. They want to escape. They want to do something different. Talk about the hero movies. You know, people want to go to a theater. They want to kind of suspend their disbelief for a little bit and think that these people in that screen, you know, you know, they're not real, but they feel real for right now. You know, and you kind of get to escape into the story, into this conflict and these combat scenarios and, and just kind of uh, enjoy it. And then, you know, leave the theater and, and go back into, you know, hey, what are we going to do for dinner? And other oh, kids got to get into bed by 830. You know, all these different things you, you just have to go back into your your normal life. But uh, let's get, get kind of get into some different games, different systems, maybe different things for people to think about. So Zamuda, what are some of your favorite games or maybe your, you know, one or two favorite games that has combat and uh, what kind of system does it use and, and why do you like it? Well, I think uh, as far as board games, um, one of my favorites is Twilight Imperium. Um, hmm. It's a, it's a meaty game. It's full of theme and it's uh, I think it's best played when you really role play the, the race that you, uh, you choose. Um, and the combat I think is it's deep enough to matter um, and to allow for play styles and strengths and weaknesses, but it's simple enough to have a hundred combats within the greater game. Um, so I think that was that was kind of inspiration for me on game design was um, to make sure how to simplify combat and capture theme uh, and character without being too complicated. Um, I, so on the other end of that, I think you know D and D. I've played a few times, and I feel like um, every time I've played D and D, I felt this is too complicated. This is getting in the way of experiencing the story and um, enjoying the game. Gotcha. Now tell me a little bit more about the combat system in Twilight Imperium. I mean, that's a game that comes up all the time as, as you know, kind of all time classics and, and a game you need to play at least once. If you're going to be in the gaming hob- hobby, or if you're going to be right. a game designer, at least understand, at least play it one time, you know, take eight hours out of your life and play the game. But tell me about the system there and, and what makes it intriguing. Well, so it's very similar to Access and Allies where, um, you know, everything's got all your units are one hit point, basically, and you generally use miniatures, which help you get into the game. Um, and then generally every unit rolls a single die and there's a um, the better units have a better chance to hit, basically. Um, so that's it's a really simple, like every piece you have is can take a hit and can dish out a hit depending on the roll, the better pieces hit um, with a higher percentage. Yeah, and it makes sense. You know, like we we're saying, this game takes forever to play, and so if you had a really complicated system like D and D does in this game, then the game would actually take twenty hours to play instead of eight. And so I think it's really you know you have to think about the kind of game you're you're doing and how long the combat system is going to take. I was designing a game a while back that's actually kind of come back. This this system came back, but uh, into another game. It's kind of funny how you know different ideas will swirl around for a while and then, then come back in new new ideas. But the the combat system just took too long, right? And I would actually I would set a timer when I was playtesting play and I would only playtest combat, I wouldn't worry about any of the other stuff going on, any of the interactions, any of the you know thematic story driven stuff, only combat. We're going to test this and I would time it and go, okay, that interaction took two minutes. That's way too long. I need to get this down to 25 seconds. And so I refined and refined, and refined, and refined until finally it got down to that 25 to 30 second mark. And then, cause it would, that's what it needed to be for the game as a whole. And I think that's something for designers to really think about is what kind of game am I designing now? Uh, Jason, you mentioned fudge or not fudge or fate uh, a second ago, the fate system, but uses fudge dice. And so tell me right. about that system and, and why it's interesting and why it's so different than, than others. What makes fate uh, very interesting is not so much of the dice rolls. The dice rolls are pretty dang simple. 
and we're just using uh, six-sided dices that have a plus on two of the sides, a blank on two of the sides, and a minus on two of the sides. So that's what they call fudge dice or fate dice as well. And you roll those, there is some type of skill that's applied to it, but where it becomes exciting is, is taking these metaphysical things that you're adding into the roll. Uh, for instance, things that are around you that they call aspects and things about your character, again, that are called aspects. And you utilize these tokens called fate points to access these aspects and apply them to the dice. So for instance, let's say that you are in this room. Let's say it's a, a convention that you've started a brawl in. And it, here the convention has a lot of people and a lot of board games uh, that are being played and a lot of chairs um, and pretty bright lighting. You can utilize those things because here it is, it's an overcrowded um, open area, right? That you can um, utilize tokens to increase the dice roll. So you roll the dice and then it's like you were talking about before of the random output, random input. Here it is where you have a random um, input, if I'm, I'm saying that correctly, and you make choices after the dice are rolled as well. So both things are happening uh, that uh, influence kind of the outcome because you can add more to the roll uh, depending on, you know, utilizing your own intelligence to gather things that are in, inside the, the, uh, the environment or even your own background. So for instance, I'm a nurse by trade. And so if I were doing something um, medically uh, to overcome a, some type of skill uh, or maybe a bandage a wound of some sort, stop the bleeding, that I can utilize some of that training by putting down fate points and increasing my role even further. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't seen fudge dice or fate dice show up in board games. Really? I'm sure there's Ooh. some out there. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Maybe some of those situations where one of us needs to actually just sit down and do it because nobody else has done it. So let's, let's just do it. <laughs> so, uh, but that's yeah, something I mean, we, for, yeah. I was just going to say, we, we have lots of other dice that uh, have different characters and so forth that are representing things. But yeah, you're right. We don't have, I don't think I have no other thing that has fate dice. Yeah, absolutely. And so actually, before we go any further, especially talking about dice, uh, let's talk about the difference between input randomness and output randomness. I've done some shows in the past about this, but it's one of those things that's kind of hard to keep straight for some people. I know I struggle with like, which is which? Let's just set that up from the ground from ground zero. So input randomness is when you you do the random thing first. And then you make a decision. So, for instance, any game that's like draft, you know, drafting or, or dice driving, something like that, uh, where you roll a bunch of dice and then decide, okay, I want to take these dice and do actions with them. So the random thing already happened, and then I'm going to make a decision afterwards. Claustrophobia is a game that comes to mind that has a ton of dice rolling, but you you roll the dice and then you allocate the numbers to different actions based on what you want to do. So the, the random thing happens first. Versus output randomness, which is where I make a decision. This is like you know most role playing games. Okay, I want to punch the orc in the face. Okay, that's my decision, and now I'm going to roll dice to see what happens, to see if it happens, and that's output randomness. And so I think it's something for designers to definitely keep in mind for your game. One, what kind of game are you making? If you're designing a really kind of interesting or a deep Euro, then you want to limit the randomness, so to speak, as far as like what happens after the decisions. Because you know people don't want to say, okay, I'm going to harvest wheat this turn, and now I'm going to roll a die to see if I get one or ten wheat. Like that's not what your gamers really want to know. They want to go, okay, I'm going to harvest wheat this turn, and I get four wheat 
period. That's, that's the end of it. And so you have to think about what kind of game am I designing? And, and does input randomness fit better? Does output randomness fit better? Can you subvert some things and do things differently? You know, designing a D&D style game that is, it's all, you know, you, you have a big dice pool that's out there and then you're determining what you're going to do based on the dice that have already been rolled. Just interesting things uh, to think about. And so Zamuto, let's, let's kind of come back over to you. What are some other dice systems that you've seen in games that you really enjoy? I want to talk about your game in a minute because I think it's got a really cool system. But what are some of the games that have already been published that, uh, that you really like and why? Well, that's um, um, tough. I've been playing mostly my game over the last year. <laughs> but um, so other, I mean, some of the classic favorites are um, uh, the Axis and Allies. It's they're really straightforward. Um, I don't tend to go into the real extreme or experimental, strange, uh, abstract. I guess for me, if the game's got to be grounded in a solid theme uh, for me to really enjoy it. And so a lot of the Euro, more abstract stuff um, doesn't really uh, fit within my interest. But um we think other. I can definitely add in. Yeah, because uh, I'm looking in? at my. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally looking at my shelf, and I'm, I'm seeing exactly what uh, Gabe's talking about. Like fifty to seventy-five percent of these things have combat systems, and when you look at, um, we have Heroes Wanted over here, which is a card-based system where you are a hero, and you utilize the cards that are in your in your hand, and that's all done by choice. So there is is a. Uh, how would you classify that one, Gabe? Uh, that would be a, is there randomness? <laughs> well, I Maybe mean, there's not randomness if, on that if one. If you're drawing, it's... if you're drawing cards, then that's going to be random, right? But it's, it's going to be the input randomness where, you know, I've already drawn the cards, the random, I've shuffled the deck, I've drawn the cards, here's what's in my hand. Okay, here's the random thing that's already happened. Now I'm going to make a decision based on what I have available to me. Gloomhaven is like this, where you have a hand of cards and now you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I put these cards together? How do I fit them? How do I make them work? But I get all the decision space after the random event has already happened. So is that how it works in, in Heroes Wanted? Uh, for Heroes Wanted, you actually start with the same exact cards every single hand. And it's how you manage those, those things. So actually, that doesn't have uh, randomness into it. But I am looking at some other games as well where we have Dice Thrones, big, popular. And that one is where you have rolled the dice. You can re-roll the dice like Yahtzee. And you are battling each other and trying to create uh, different moves. And so you do have that, um, those decisions that are made after the dice are rolled. Yeah, now, now that one's interesting because you, you kind of have input, output, input, output. Like it, it's, it's both because I'm rolling the dice and then I get to make a decision. And then based on that decision, I have to roll again, potentially, right? And so that uh -huh. one's kind of an interesting because it's, it's a hybrid. And I think there's a lot of room for hybrids out there as well. Exactly. Uh, and then we have um, Battle Stations. I don't know if you've played that before. Fun tactical game where you're playing out in space uh, on, on a ship that you can build. And those are, again, uh, D, uh, what, what did they roll on those? D8s? D, D6s? D8s. Um, and it's, it is a, definitely a, uh, let's get this straight, it's a output randomness because you make, make a decision and then those decisions are uh, dictated upon the, uh, the randomness that's, that's put into, into play. Um, it, what's Here's something that, that for the game that I designed, which was Wizard's Bluff, um, I'm looking at the another game that's called Wings of War that I think is called Wings of Glory now. It's an old, old copy that I have here um, where you are battle planes. And it's a lot like um, X-Wing is for uh, Fantasy Flight where there's not necessarily dice that are rolled or even cards that are played essentially, 
but it is the choices that we make simultaneously that create this randomness. And so you, you lay down your, your plane and the way that you're going to move, um, and it's done, it's done uh, face down, and then you reveal them simultaneously. And suddenly, where my plane is moving to the left, now your plane is moving to the right, and now we're no longer in sync uh, fighting. I'm not, have, have you played Wings of War before or, or um, uh, the Fantasy Flight's uh, X-Wing? No, I have not, but I, I, I'm familiar with that. I know what you're talking about. So in Wizard's Bluff, we created something very similar to that, where we've, we created this, this, this randomness that is in the um, – it's an output randomness because you make a choice, and then according to how we reveal our cards – so it's, a, it's, it's very similar to like a trick-taking game. We're playing as wizards that are able to transform into different animals, and we all start with the same exact hand, which are uh, ranked 2 through 12. And you're going to play a card face down, and I'm going to play a card face down, and we're going to reveal them, and whoever has the highest is going to win that hand, which creates that randomness that, that, uh, that I didn't know technically what you were playing, but I was making decision off of some limited information before. Mm. So I, I wonder, That's kind of like how you, um, the, the, like Magic the Gathering's combat system on the surface doesn't seem to have a lot of randomness because it's just based on the numbers on the cards. But then the random factor is what's in your opponent's hands and what are you going right. to play from your hand? And so, yeah, there's that kind of reveal mechanic that, well, you know, randomly what's in my hand and what am I going to reveal? Um, I also thought of another one so that I don't totally fudge that uh, answer. Um, <laughs> I played uh, Battle Lord recently and I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I played a lot of uh, miniature wargaming and so Battle Lord felt like a really fun compression of what miniature wargaming is and an effective way to get that experience in more of a board game setting in a uh, more compact amount of time. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, how does the combat system in that game work? So, with Battle Lord, you have you have uh, specialized dice. So if you have archers, there's like a one of the die is um, a hit for archery, and then another which has more sides is a hit for melee, and then there's like a um, like a magic side to the die, and then a always hit side. And so you know your melee hits more often, your archery is not as effective, um, and then your magic allows you to do special abilities. Um, so it's kind of a it was kind of a fun take on it. We're using special sides of the dice, and but then movement still matters, and all that tactical stuff that I love. Yeah, very cool. And so let's keep talking a little bit more about dice before we move over, over and just make cards and some other things. One one game I want to highlight, it's actually an RPG game system that has lots of uh, different spinoffs. It's called Powered by the Apocalypse. I don't know if you guys have, have done oh, yeah. it or used it, but it's an it's amazing little system. I use it in my classroom uh, because it creates a very narrative uh, style of, of combat where you roll 2d6. No matter what you do, you, you roll 2d6, period. And then if you get... It's, it's if you roll a seven to nine and there's obviously little modifiers and things that could give you pluses and minuses. But if you roll a seven to nine, then you get a partial success or a success with a complication. Or if you roll a 10 plus, you get a, a, a success and, and nothing bad happens. And I love the, the game space of that partial success or the complicated success, because then it gives the, the players at the table, the characters in the game. Okay. This thing happens that you wanted to happen, but you also created this thing you didn't want to happen. And it makes for some really interesting and fun and awesome story moments. 
uh, in a game where, okay, you, you tried to punch the orc in the face. Okay, you got a partial success. You rolled a seven. So you managed to punch him in the face, uh, but you're off balance now and you you were up on a ledge and now you are stumbling and maybe about to fall over the edge of the cliff along with the orc. And so it creates a, like, a lot of really interesting uh, moments. It would be kind of hard to do that in a board game space, you know, because it's board games have a lot more rules and there's a lot more, you're, you're, you live more in a box than you do with RPGs. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted right. to highlight that as a system for, if you haven't played it, if you're listening to this, please check out Powered by the Apocalypse because it might give you some ideas. There's also narrative dice that Fantasy Flight put out that has a really cool system I think they use for their Star Wars RPG as well. So just check those out. You would know that sounds like, uh, I think I've seen that, uh, something like that implemented in a board game setting in the game Maneuver. Um, so in Maneuver, you get a couple of dice. It's usually like two dice, 2d6, but they can vary. And then you, when you attack, you're moving like Napoleonic uh, regiments around the board. Uh, you compare what you rolled to um, your opponent's like defense, and then you consult a chart. So it's kind of a cumbersome three-step thing, but then it's like, well, it, we, you know, it's a push, or um, they're beating us, or we beat them, or we really beat them, um, which is it was a fun take on interacting between the dice and the effect. Yeah, very cool. Real, real quick, uh, Gabe, I was just going to mention uh, some things that I thought was really interesting as well with uh, Fate, which goes along with what you're saying with the, the Power by the Apocalypse that one of the things that really intrigued me about them is, is even if you have a failed role, they even have a step for those things where you can, you can yeah. succeed still at a minor cost, even a major cost, which was really fascinating to me that you give the players this, this extra narrative to, to say, Hey, I still want to succeed. I, I want to jump across the cliff, but what else can happen to me even though I failed the role? Yeah, absolutely. I love it because it's it's not binary, right? It's not pass fail. It's not yes or no. It's not I punched the orc or I missed the orc. Like there's more to it than that because that's how life is. You know, very rarely is it is life binary. You know, very very often it's okay. I succeeded, but then there's this other thing that came with my success that I didn't expect. You know, how many celebrities are like, yeah, I made all this money and now I'm a drug addict. Okay, well that didn't turn out so well. (laughs) So that's how that's how life is, right? And even in failure, right? So even even failure, there's some kind of success you can typically find in that, you know, the greatest success stories of all time are typically born out of some of the greatest failures of all time. And so, yeah, like you're saying, it's a really cool way to, to create that in, in a, in a system for a game. And I hope, hopefully we'll see more games that, that try to do this in, in some really cool ways, you know, especially right now, every, every week or so you see a new Kickstarter that's like hundred hours of narrative story driven gameplay. And so this is cool. And so hopefully they'll, they'll maybe start using some of these other systems from RPG games to create some maybe different kinds of narrative, more so than just go to the adventure book and read, you know, line 45 and then make a choice. Like that's, that's a cool way to do it. Maybe there's, oh, maybe right, there's more to right. it. I'm, hopefully someone listening to this will kind of hear this and go, Oh, I got an idea. And maybe create something that hadn't even been done before. All right. So going back into card driven games uh, with combat, what are some of y'all's favorites? Uh, do you guys play de- any deck building games that come that stand out? I think that's one of the, the main genres on the, on the market right now. That's kind of card driven combat. I have played, uh, is it Sentinels of the Megaverse uh, that they have? Multiverse. Uh, where, multiverse. Thank you. Um, and man, that is some that is some hard game to play. Sometimes it is it yeah. is challenging, uh, just because of the the things that are coming at you. You are a superhero um, within in a team, so it's a cooperative thing, and you have uh, challenges that come out uh, that affect the environment. Uh, they are. They can be minions. They could be uh, attacks coming from the main villain that you're trying to defeat, and and so forth as the the plot kind of unfolds. And uh, yeah, that was a, that was a really fun game where it is a deck builder, right? Deck builder. Kind of. Kind of. 
Well, you've got a deck of cards, but you're not building the deck during the game. Does that make sense? So you've already got your your hero has a deck unto themselves, and you're not necessarily right. going to add cards. It's not like legendary uh, or legendary some of the other games. Is, yeah, I'm, I'm melding the two things together yeah. in, in thought. Yeah. Um, and speaking of legendary, uh, it's such an interesting idea, right? So I, I start the game with a very, very poor deck of cards, right? It's not any good. Mm-hmm. It only has you know very low scores or anything. But over the course of the next hour... I'm going to build up into this unstoppable force by creating this this deck of cards with all these heroes and all these actions and all these different things I can do. And I'm going to go from zero to hero over the course of the game. And I think, one, that's really cool progression. Like People feel good about kind of where they start compared to where they finish. But then it creates some interesting choices. And now the game doesn't use dice. Neither of these games, you know, Heroes of the Multiverse or Legendary. And so let's talk for a second. Uh, and Zamuna, if you've got any insight on this, like let's talk about using cards. You talk about magic just a second ago. What are some of the pros and cons of using a card that says, okay, this does three damage. So I know it does three damage. It's always going to do three damage. If I need it to do four, too bad, it does three. So what are some of the pros and cons of a system like that? Cards are easy to randomize. They're Like I was saying earlier, they're a good way to combine consistency with a random element because um, it's really easy to um, uh, get a bunch of cards and shuffle them up and you don't know what you're going to get, right? So like Dominion would be not as interesting if the deck you built you was just in your hand. You had a 30-card deck and you had access to all the cards all the time, although some games do turn out that way. Um, so I think that's the, the appeal of cards is that um, instant ability to randomize. Yeah, Jason, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and I was just going to say for for Heroes Wanted, you have a set actions that you can take, and according to what hero you 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 take as well, it adds a few more cards to that. And but the thing is that you're, you're like you're talking about, there is some limitations. Like for instance, a I want to say it's a charge attack um, allows you to move one space and then attack the uh, um, someone that's within range one of you. So either your square or a square uh, or a hex. Excuse me, I think they're hexes. And it only does four damage. And so there are two. There are three types of uh, villains that are in the game. The main villain, you have the underlings, and then you have the henchmen. And the underlings are only are only four points. They only have four hit points, but the the henchmen have five. And so if you were to only have a charge attack left in your hand, you could could not kill or uh, knock out uh, one of the henchmen. And damage isn't stored round after round. It's not like it's it. Cumulates, cumu, yeah. cumulative cumulative yeah yeah it, it is either you do it or you don't and so if you can't get to that five there's no action you can take and so, so therefore you can't even use that card if you were surrounded by henchmen so there is some limitations that way but again there is a lot of pros that go with cards because the scenarios that are are introduced with the random draw really are something fascinating. It's something that we, we found in, in Wizard's Bluff. There is some some cards that you draw, which are these spell cards, and they are able to be played um, to either improve uh, the, the, the animal card that you have laid down or to throw some type of wrench into the mix. And what we found is that there are so, certain cards that have been played together, and this is not us finding it. This is going to conventions and people finding more about our game than we ever knew existed and, and, and finding those combinations that uh, can, I mean, it's like in magic where you have one card uh, that adds to another card that adds to another card that adds to another card. And just this, what do they call that? Um, Daisy chaining something into a, something incredible that wasn't as incredible 
by itself as it was synergistically. Well, and you know, I think uh, piggybacking on that point, cards really add an ability to bluff. That's what I was thinking of as you were talking about Wizards Bluff. I mean, it's in the name, but um, that happens in Twilight Imperium as well. It's like you can't know for sure what the dice are going to do. You can have a good idea, but there's always, you know, there's a card where if you score a single hit on a big ship, you can play this card and it automatically destroys it. Uh, People will always like when they're people are deciding where to allocate the hits, they'll hold this one card up and kind of give a look. And they're totally bluffing. They're trying to make their opponent think that they have that card. Um, and people do that in Magic all the time. And it's it's a lot harder to um, have that that bluffing feel and mechanic if you're relying completely on dice. Um, so that's one thing that cards just automatically bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it gets back into what kind of ga- game are you designing? And so if you want a game that, where players feel like they have a little more control then maybe card-driven is the way to go, where they know, okay, this card does four damage, period, no matter what. If I needed to do five, sorry, it does four. Yeah. Versus with dice, let's say, you know, the bad guy's got, you know, six hit points and I'm rolling a D6. Okay, the odds of me rolling a six are pretty low compared to everything else, but I might roll a six. And so it creates this interesting, like, I don't know what's going to happen, maybe a little more chaotic, that kind of, it, but it depends on the game that you're designing. And so I think it's always the first thing to think about, who is this game for? Like, what's, what's the audience? What's the demographic? And then thinking about those those folks, what kind of game would they want? Do they want a little bit more control? Do they want a little bit more randomness, a little more chaos? Do they want that stand-up moment at the end of the game where it comes down to this one die roll and I have to roll a six, otherwise we all lose, and you had that big moment mm-hmm. versus a card game where it's like, okay, yeah, you look at my hand, okay, I've only got a five, I can't, uh, we lose. <laughs> you know, So you don't have quite, <laughs> you don't typically have like a stand-up card, mo- you know, play moment, uh, sometimes maybe, but uh, and so it just kind of depends on the game. Now, any any other games that stand out, either dice or cards, to you guys that you're like, okay, let's talk about this one. Well, I mean, for dice, one that stands out to me uh, that I think is part of the backbone of a lot of our, uh, our, our history is, in, in board games is, is risk, uh, where you have, yeah. it is these dice, but you are comparing them, right, in a certain way. And, and then they, on both sides, we're both taking damage according to how those dice were rolled. My brother and I were once designing a RPG system that we wanted to create like Risk. Imagine Risk rules being played according to the type of maneuvers that were allowed for your character. For instance, let's say you have a, a sword. Well, it has one tip on it. You can swing it in one direction. And so therefore, it's going to be one die that's maybe a 12 or maybe a, a, a D8 that you're rolling. But a bow staff has two ends. So therefore, but it's not as, as, as effective as a sword at, at creating damage. So maybe you have two sixes that you're rolling and you might be able to get one of those hits off of them, right? Which would be one hit point off of them, uh, just like in uh, Risk where it only removes one of the armies if you are successful. Um, and so we were creating this thing and, and, and it, it got kind of convoluted in itself, but uh, it was very intriguing and interesting that I don't think we've ever seen and other type of RPG games, or even scrimmaging type of games. So I thought that was really intriguing. One thing I've noticed with combat systems, um, or one pitfall I think that I picked up on over the last couple of years as I've been paying attention is um, knowing how many dice to use. Because um, it's a, I don't guess, you, I guess you wouldn't classify it as a board game, but Kings of War, great game, but you roll so many dice that at a certain point, it's not really random anymore. Um, and you'll see people at tournaments 
boy, they're getting really good at doing the math because they will calculate 30 dice needing fours to hit and then fives to wound and then this. So that means it's going to have times this average. Okay, I'm going to get seven hits and they'll calculate it within, you know, one to two um, results of what it's going to be. And I look at that and after a while, I think they got to change the system um, because it's at a certain point, it's not even that random. And then you're just, that's a lot of uh, cumbersome dice rolling for no reason. So um, yeah, I guess know how many dice to put into the game. Yeah, absolutely. And again, kind of going back to what we were talking about a moment ago with, you know, with D&D, you, you roll to hit and then you roll to see how much damage you do. And, and so there's an extra step in there. Yeah. right? And let's kind of get to your game arise because you, you saw that system. You're like, OK, I think I can do this maybe in a different way, maybe a little more interesting, maybe a faster, more streamlined way. Yes. And so because forever, you know, like you're saying, the, D&D was built on old school war games, old school miniature games. And they right. said, well, what if instead of a giant army, you were just one character and going into a dungeon looking for gold? Okay, cool. And so they took war gaming ideas and put it into one hero. And that's kind of what gave us D&D and, and right. where it is now. It's, it hasn't changed that much, right? I'm going to roll to see if I if I even hit the thing. And then if I do, cool, then I can you know do some damage to it. So tell me about Arise and kind of your, your thoughts on how to make that different. Well, the combat system, I actually built the combat system for another game that I was working on, which was a like mech combat game. And the idea was I wanted the combat to be really smooth and fast. Um, and there's a lot of information we have to um, discern. When you do an attack, uh, does the attack hit? If it hits, how much damage does it do? And for a mech game, also, where does it hit? You know, the legs, the this weapon, that weapon, the cockpit. Um, and so the the idea was the top of the box would be this picture of a mech and you'd roll your attack onto that picture um, and then you'd have like you'd hit on a four or less and if you hit uh, if you got that four or less the number you rolled was the amount of damage and wherever the dice fell that's where you hit the mech so it was like just trying to tick off as many boxes of information i could with a single roll Um, and i just loved the idea of the options that opened up where you had powerful single weapons that you could actually aim uh, on the box or like um, machine guns where you had to roll a bunch of dice and just, well, they're going to go where they go. So it was a really fun idea. The game didn't end up going anywhere, but when I was um, first working on this game, I was using more of the D&D approach. Um, I was using a percentage base. I was rolling 2d10 to determine uh, if you hit, you're within this percentage, and then the weapons had damage values uh, associated with them. So it was it was more complicated. The battles were taking longer than uh, they needed to because the battles are just a subset of the main game and you're going to play four or five battles uh, as long as you don't get a game over in any given game. So they had to be fast and smooth. So I just took that mechanic that I built for that mech game and transported it over. So you have a melee stat and a range stat um, and your range stat might be three. And if it's three, then whenever you attack with a ranged weapon, you need to get a three or less in order for it to be a hit. Um, if you do, whatever you rolled is the amount of damage you did. So if you rolled a two, you did two damage. Um, if you rolled a four, that's a miss. So it's kind of like you want to get as high as you can without going over. It's the price is right applied to combat systems. Um, and then you have a, a focus resource on your character that allows you to manipulate that die roll. For every point of focus you spend, you adjust the roll by one. So the focus doesn't refresh within the battle, though. So you have to be very careful about using it at just the right moment. Like if you really need to score that three and you rolled a six, do you burn three of your focus, which is probably all of it on that one roll? Or do you accept the miss and move on? So that's the, that's the basics of the combat system. 
Yeah, very cool. And what have you noticed as far as play testing? You know, people, res- their response to it, it, is it intuitive? Are they picking up? Like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. Or do you kind of have to explain a little bit more because it is different than the norm of, of Dungeon Dragons, things like that? Well, it's, for the most part, it's very intuitive and people pick it up. The one area where people will sometimes struggle is um, understanding that their, their role to hit is the same as the role to damage. Like, it's so hard for some people to um, parse that out, right? To the point where I actually, I, I, uh, tested the game where I removed the damage aspect because I had enough people s- struggle with that point. But um, I ended up putting back in because it's such a fun, uh, it works so well with the focus and with all the rest of the way the game works. Um, so kind of kind of both. I mean, in, in a, it's very simple to explain, um, but then it's very different also. So people do get stuck on it. Yeah, it's always something you got to think about whenever you're doing something new or something that's kind of similar but different to what people are used to. It's going to take a little bit of extra ex- explanation because people, they, they've kind of got it ingrained how a certain system is supposed to work or right. how they think it's supposed to work. And then you know, you're, you're subverting it in, in different ways. Uh, a couple of games I want to bring up that if people haven't played them, they need to as far as combat and they're card-based systems. And that's Kemet and Scythe. And these are games that, two of, two of my favorite games. And what I love about Kemet is okay, so you, you calculate it's, it's another, it's kind of like uh, risk or access and allies where you've got dudes in a map and you've got different areas and you're going to try to take over different zones for points and things like that. And so you calculate it based on how many armies are in your zone, how many you're attacking with, and then but then you also get to play a card. And everybody starts off the game with the exact same cards. And so you know what other people have, but you don't know which one they're going to play this time. And the cards give you power, and the cards also sometimes give you defense, and they also sometimes uh, destroy enemy units. So just because you win doesn't mean you destroy all the other enemy's units. It's not like risk or anything like that. You can, you know, you can win a battle and, and not even kill anybody, or you can win a battle uh, and lose all your guys. And so it's a really interesting system, the way that it works. And then you have Scythe which has that power meter. So you, you kind of know how many uh, power, how much power an, an opposing player has, but then they also, you can play cards that go along with it that do different things. And so just some interesting systems that aren't random in, in like, you know what people have, you know what you have. So you're not like rolling dice, but at the same time, you don't know what the other player is going to do. And so you kind of have this very interesting cat and mouse tension of, okay, I know you have this, but I have that. And so, but I don't want to use it now. And I want to use it on this other fight that's coming up later. And so it's just a very interesting uh, couple of games that have very unique combat systems. Have you guys played anything else that kind of had that card driven, you know, system where you're not sure about what's going to happen. You're going to play a card and hope for the best. And maybe you win, maybe you don't. That reminds me. I don't, I don't know if you use cards in it, in the combat. I can't remember, but in rising sun by Eric Lang, um, when we played that, that was really fascinating on how they did combat. Because it was all it was was like using coins that you've you've uh, built up through resource gathering, and you make bets on these coins, but they're all done hiddenly. Um, is it hiddenly? Hiddenly is a word. Uh, um, secretly <laughs> and secretly. Thank you, thank you, Gabe. And then you reveal them, and there are certain areas that you can put these coins. And I think there's like four different uh, um, challenges that will happen, and you'll. You can win all four of the challenges depending on how many coins you put on them. But if you're the highest on uh, a certain challenge, then you are the one that dictates what happens in that thing. For instance, you could commit seppuku. Um, But if someone bets more than you did on seppuku, then then they do that instead. And there's some victory points that are won from doing that for the honor type things and so forth. Have you ever played uh, Rising Sun then, Gabe? 
Yeah, I played it over the summer, and uh, it, it, like you're saying, it's very interesting. It's a it's a game that the combat system is very difficult to understand until you're about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through the game, and then it clicks, and you're like, "Wow, I wish I'd have known this an hour ago." And then that second that time is, around, you're like, "I get true. it." Yeah, and so that's a great one. There's also a game from Portal Games. Cry Havoc is another one that's very similar to Rising Sun in that you kind of allocate resources and do different things and you kind of go down the line and see what happens. And if I remember that one right, you can attack, you can take uh, take prisoners, you can do different things. And so you might lose a battle, but then take all the enemy's prisoners, you know, take all their, their units away. And so you might, maybe you lose it, but then you, you kind of win at the same time. And so again, going back to that whole idea of it doesn't have to be binary, right? It's not win or lose. There, there could be more to it than that. You could win, but then actually lose more in the longer game. Right? Maybe you win the battle, but lose the war, that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's interesting, these different system systems that, that people have come up with. But let's talk about maybe some uncommon systems, maybe some, some games that do things differently, whether it's through dexterity or some of the other thing. What are some games that maybe you guys have played? That it wasn't dice. It wasn't cards. It was a different way to do combat, and you really thought it was kind of cool. Well, again, I don't... Um... This was a, a long time ago, so I don't. I hope I'm remembering it right, but um, yeah, Acropolis, which had a, a bluffing system for the combat. Um, you had a certain value, I think that was your strength, and then you were able to uh, bluff it up. And so that was the that's where they inserted the randomness that I think is essential for um, combat. Uh, but that wasn't dice, it wasn't cards, it was bluffing. You know, looking back. I think something that's been, again, it's pretty intriguing when I saw it the first was actually your game of Hunted, where you added a uh, a dexterity thing, similar to what Zamuda was talking about um, with his mech game, where you're tossing this thing onto a target, trying to hit them in the certain vital circle or the, the square that was on the, uh, the alien portion of it. Um, and then not only that, you also had different sizes of tokens uh, dictating how effective the weapon is in, in creating damage. I thought that was really fascinating. It actually, it was, it was the selling point for me in, in backing that game. Yeah, that was a system I had a lot of fun designing. And is a system that actually came before the game. Uh, that was something that I had an idea. I saw a zombie game use a vi- kind of a similar system uh, years and years ago. I think that game came out maybe 10 years ago. And I always thought, man, I want to design a game kind of like that but that's a cool system i love dexterity games if you've seen the games i've designed then you know that i'm a big fan of dexterity and so i always wanted to kind of put that system into a game and and it just worked you know what i love about it what i love about dexterity systems in general is it doesn't come down to luck it doesn't come down to a die roll or what card i randomly drew or anything like that it comes down to my skill level and my ability to toss this token or to flick this disc or whatever it is and based on my skill i'm going to win or i'm going to lose and so i can't kind of a pro and a con. I can't blame the universe. I can't say, oh, bad luck. That's why I lost. And it's like, no, bad, bad tossing. My my low skill level is why I lost. So I I like that aspect of it. And sometimes that's kind of a negative. But uh, I love, I love dexterity games because they give you that kind of feelings. Like I want, like it wasn't the roll of the dice. Like I did this, my skill level, I've improved enough as a player to where I did really, really well. And I think, you know, there's a lot of room for more games like that on the market. I wish, I wish people would kind of give these games a chance. So many people are like, Oh, I don't like dexterity games. It's like, well, it's not exactly a dexterity game. It's just got a little bit of a dexterity element in it. You might like it if you tried it. And so, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see more games come out. And I know I've got more <laughs> personally that I'm working on. And so hopefully uh, people will give them a chance and they'll Well, I think that can really pull you into the game as well. When you're when you're doing something yeah. and it, your personal skill is involved in it, I think that's a big, uh, a good way to pull you into it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you just kind of, you have to know the game that you're trying to create. Jason, what do you got? 
Yeah, two, two that I'm I'm thinking about when when you when you mentioned more about your your game. One is if you remember, like when we were kids, uh, castles and catapults. Oh yeah, remember oh, playing yeah. That? yeah, oh yeah. Where you would build up a, a wall, you'd have either a, a catapult on one side or the um, the ballista on the other side, and you would you would try to hit each other. And as kids, what we would do is we'd take like popsicle sticks and we would glue them all together and create our own catapults, right? And, and as we got older, we would actually learn more. And like we would even build like trebuchets that would launch these, uh, these little metal bearings. And we'd build up our own walls uh, and castles with other type of uh, resources that we would have around the house. And always a fun little thing uh, that we, we played. The other thing that I thought was an interesting uh, combat system, and they use a, a Jenga tower. Okay, so you build up a Jenga tower. And we're in this horror setting, so like a, like a slasher type of movie. And we're all the teenagers in this slasher movie. And it's called Dread. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But uh, when something happens uh, combat-wise, you have to pull one of the bricks off of the Jenga tower and put it on the top. And the, the GM or the, the person, the storyteller who's, who's um, directing everything might require that you pull more than, more than one as well. And in addition to that, the game master can make it even harder by pulling some himself or herself and uh, then you have to pull it. So now it's even more compl- complicated. So it's adding this extra element where Jenga, yeah, it's a good, it's a good um, group game to play. But again, it gets, there, it gets old. But when you add a, a, a thematic um, element to it, for instance, if the tower were to collapse, that the werewolf that's been see- uh, hunting you suddenly grabs you and takes you away. And now you become part of the, the werewolf's team. Um, was, was something I thought was very intriguing and very unique. You know, in that uh, Castle and Catapults game, it makes me think that dexterity games, they may have a stigma as being um, more like toys or childish. Um, but I bet, you know, mm. as board games, less and less people, I think, when they hear board games now, think Monopoly or Shoots and Ladders, you know. And as games distance themselves and broaden to be more of a all-encompassing hobby rather than associated with kids' toys, I bet people will be less resistant to um, incorporating dexterity elements. Yeah, I hope so. And and just another thing you can think about, and this, I'm working on a football game right now that has a little dexterity element where whenever you score a touchdown, you have to kick the extra point, or you're just going to kick a field goal during the game. Uh, one of the main dice in the game is, is a football. It's a little football-shaped D6, and you have to toss that football into the game's box and try to land it inside so that an, uh, a field goal post is printed inside the box and you're trying to land the die inside the uprights. And it's a fun little dexterity element that, you know, it goes alongside a game that has no other dexterity elements. It's kind of a fun little add-on thing in there. And But I also have a system that's dice-based where you roll dice to see if you make the field goal. So if you want to do the dexterity system, okay, here's a way to do it. But if you don't like dexterity, it's not your thing. Okay, well, here's another way to do you know, field goals that you roll dice and you see what happens, that kind of thing. So I think it's also something to think about is maybe offering up different options, different ways. You know, with Hunted, I have the dexterity version of the game and then a totally different theme, totally different way to play, totally different thing going on, you know, dice-based version as well. And so if you don't like dexterity, well, here's the other other way to do it. And if you don't like dice-based, well, here's the dexterity way. And so I think offering up options to customers is also a Oh, yeah, a way to definitely. Go. I was, um, I, I'm already kind of thinking of the next game I'm working on. And one thing I was thinking is I want to build um, competitive rules as well as cooperative. Because again, every game I make now is cooperative, but um, you could, you know, it's like when you're designing it, it's easy. If you start early enough on, you can build in multiple rule sets to accommodate different interests or play styles. So that's a, it's a really good point. Yeah. And now 
kind of switching gears, another system we can talk about, and this kind of goes into the X-Wing uh, or a lot of war games where you have to, you have a spatial aspect of the combat as well. And so maybe, you know, you, so a lot of games, old school games, you're using a ruler and you can move, you know, five inches. And so I get, you know, my ruler out and I move five inches or the X-Wing, it has like the different cardboard, you know, cutouts of, of different ways you can move your ships and how far and things like that. I think the new Marvel miniatures game does the same thing. You've got different things that you set down and says, okay, here's my, my radius of effect. So I, I threw this bomb and anything that, that's inside this, you know, chipboard circle gets hit by it. So I think that's another uh, thing to think about with, with combat systems is, is the spatial thing. There's another game I played years ago. I can't even remember the name of it, but uh, all the units were on discs, like little coasters and, and had their unit on and you would flip it. And you had and you couldn't slide it. You had to flip it over. And if you flipped it over and you landed on another unit, then you were you were attacking it. You were engaged in combat with it. And so you had to really think about the spatial aspect. Because if you flipped it over and just barely missed, then you missed. Like there there was no oh okay I hit you. No you you missed. You didn't you didn't judge it right with your spatial awareness. And so then on their turn they're going to flip their disc over and they're going to hit you instead. And so I think that's another another way to do it. Just kind of an interesting uh, angle to take. Oh, you're talking about like you're flipping it into the air and where it lands. No, no, no. Like you, you're flipping it over. So, you know, it's on side A right now and I would just not, not pick it up, but just kind of flip it to side B and it would move the circumference. It would move that distance, you know, the uh, the diameter. Yeah, exactly. It would, yeah, sorry. Okay. The diameter, it would move the diameter over, right? That's how far it would move. And so if you had a Mm -hmm. unit that has a smaller disc, right, it's not going to be able to move as far, but it's also harder to hit. Right, but you have a big disc, and you've got this big, you know, war elephant or something like that. That's huge. You know, it's, it's bigger than a coaster. Then it's going to flip over, and it's going to wherever it lands, it's going to have a bigger area it can impact, but also it can be hit easier because it's so big. And so it was just an interesting way to do the combat. What, was it catacombs that the, is the one that is a dungeon crawl that you're you're flicking? Yeah, let's talk about that one. So catacombs, it's dexterity based, where you have uh, wooden discs that you flick, and then you have different abilities that let you flick in different ways. And so you might get to flick twice, and every time you you bump into a, a bad guy, you do damage. Or if you're an archer, you flick little smaller discs, and you can flick them from range, and you're doing damage. Uh, the bad guys had all sorts of different ways that they could attack, and that's a that's one of the best uh, dexterity games ever made. And it's the whole combat, the whole game is a combat system, and the, the combat system is nothing but dexterity. That's definitely one people should uh, should check out. Definitely. And it, there's also the other flicking one, um, which is, uh, it's a cowboy one. What is that one? Oh, uh, shoot 'em up. Shoot 'em up. No, yeah. Flick 'em up. Flick 'em up. Flick 'em up. Sorry. <laughs> shoot 'em up. Yeah. yeah. Flick 'em up. And you're, you're yep. flicking, uh, like, like bullet discs at, at people. That's, that's, that's very intriguing as well. Yeah. Again, the whole game is combat. That's all it is, right? There's no narrative. There's no story. He's not, you know, all these other things. It's, it's flicking discs at your opponent's meeples, you know, and different discs represent different things. You have shotguns, uh, you have tomahawks and, you know, different dexterity based systems all for the combat. Uh, And then another system that I was thinking about when I was putting all this, the show together uh, was the system that's in a call to adventure is one. Uh, There's also Runebound, I think third edition where you're casting, runes you're casting these tokens that are thick and and are, are but basically they have different sides and the side that it lands on is what gives you an ability or you know you do a certain amount of damage or you're able to use a certain weapon or certain things happen but you're, you're basically just taking a big handful of tokens and then just throwing them on the table <laughs> and seeing what <laughs> happens and that's another way that you could do a, a combat system that's a little bit away from the generic you know just roll some d6s and see what happens and so i think there's so much space for new ideas, for new things to happen, whether it's in dexterity, whether it's in 
you know, trying new things, custom dice, you know, and using different sizes and shapes and things of custom dice. There's so many avenues there that have, have yet to be explored. And I'm just really excited to kind of see what's next. Yeah. And to see maybe a blend of some of those things to create something completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And let's, let's talk about theme. You know, we've talked a lot about a lot of different systems. What's your advice, uh, Zamuda, as far as like thinking about theme and thinking about the combat system and kind of how you're going to do it, whether it's cards or dice or dexter or whatever, what are you thinking as a designer? Okay, here's my theme. How do I want to incorporate that into you know the combat system? Well, I, I remember uh, Googling like how to publish a board game and it was interesting because it had this like seven step process and the, you know, the first step was design your game or make your mechanics. And then um, down on step four or five, it said add a theme. And I, I was so offended to read that because <laughs> a little late in the process. Right. Well, I was like, you know, no, no. Step one should be decide your theme. Like, you know, what what's the theme? What's the story you're trying to tell? What's the the narrative that you're building? And then based on that um, theme, build out your mechanics. Um, and so that's for um, Arise. That's kind of how that happened. It actually started as a um, like post-apocalyptic zombie survival game. And so all of the mechanics were built around times running out. You know, you got to get out, you got to run, you got to get away from them. The zombies are overwhelming you. So, um, and I think it really captured that feel. Now it's changed a lot um, over the years and it's very different from what it looked like originally. But um, yeah, I find decide what the theme is, then build mechanics that enhance that theme or, or um, help create it. Yeah, and Jason, what are your thoughts as far as, you know, a game that has combat that's maybe more chaotic than other, you know, things are going on? I, I can think of maybe some games that it makes sense to have dice. Some games it makes more sense to have cards. So when you're thinking about a combat system and trying to bring that out in a theme, what are you thinking about? That's very uh, a good question because, I mean, there's so many different types of themes that are out there that, for instance, for d and it, it plays really well with a random uh, random style thing because it's uh, it's fantasy. There's a lot of magic that's, that's being thrown around and so forth. And you want to reflect that chaos uh, through the dice. Uh, whereas other games, you're looking for more consistency where uh, certain cards are being played because um, you're generals and you pretty much know the outcome of the game. It's a, you know a lot like like in chess where there's a combat that's going going on but it's very refined if you will um and i i do think that that plays a part into the theme um one of the things that i'm thinking about right now is uh the game that I have uh, star trek the final frontier is that what it's called oh no no final mission the five-year mission where you're playing um and trying to you're not combating each other but you're combating different missions that are there that are either red alert uh what is it red alert yellow alert and a blue alert um and you're rolling all these dice and it just feels it feels kind of chaotic but in its sense it's also very much where you're directing like it would be on a starship where you have your your commander and and you have your officers and you're taking care of these these specific things according to the um powers that you have uh, or abilities that you have uh to handle certain situations and I, I think it, it plays well into the theme. Um, I'm trying to think of other, other games that are, are like that. Um, and for our game Wizard's Bluff, uh, the part that, uh, that adds a lot into the themes are these extra cards that are drawn. And the only way that you can get these cards are to accurately predict what the winner of a hand would be. 
And I'm not necessarily saying like you, Gabe, are going to be the winner, but maybe that you're going to play that hopefully someone's going to play like a dragon and win with the dragon. And if I can accurately predict that, I'm going to get some of these extra spells. And it's kind of, it, it adds into this, this, the theme that we were going for, which was this, these wizards that are smart and they're witty. And, and if you can apply a lot of that wittiness into your gameplay that you can actually get benefits for it, you know? Uh, so one, one guy said, hey, don't call it uh, that you're, um, what do you say, not, not predicting, but divining, because that's more what a wizard would do is to divine who the winner will be, you know, in, in their preparation. So there's a lot of a lot of theme that can be added into, or excuse me, uh, that a combat system can arrive from a specific theme that is yeah. implied. And talking about it, it's interesting because I'm just thinking about how, how the mechanics impact the theme. And it's like you're playing Axis and Allies and you're rolling just tons of dice and it helps simulate that feel of there's just so many troops just it's a meat grinder and you know so many lives being lost uh-huh. and so much combat and it never ends right and the game access and allies can take like five hours and it kind of creates that feeling and it, it does a good job of that and then again you know magic or wizards bluff it's trying to create this feeling of these dueling wizards and they're trying to guess what spells the other wizards going to play and um it's it's interesting because that bluff mechanic cards automatically bring that bluff mechanic and you often see that with games of wit and um especially magic and then um there's games that use bluffing so that um acropolis i hope i'm remembering the mechanics right but it's like you're you're posturing politicians and so how much are you going to commit to this or um uh risk 2049 i think had a bluffing mechanic as well in parts of it and that really does create that like bluffing oh twilight imperium did bluffing as well and that that's great for political games where it's kind of like you're trying to um uh and by bluffing i mean you're committing an unknown amount of resources to something and and you all have to decide you know and guess what they're going to commit so um yeah it's interesting how much what mechanic you base your conflict around or your combat around impacts the feel of the game yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, this has been awesome. I think just a fun conversation, right? And, and again, there, we can sit here and talk about this stuff for probably 10 more hours and not even scratch the surface <laughs> of how many different systems and types of systems and types of games and different games are out there. And uh, so I really appreciate you guys just kind of going back and forth with me uh, about this stuff. But uh, what, would, what would be your closing thoughts, Jason, as far as like somebody's working on a, a game right now, they want to have a really cool combat system, you know, I feel like sometimes people want to try to make something brand new that's never been done before, which is very, very difficult, especially now with so many games that have come out. But what would be your advice to somebody who's trying to make a system? They want it to be interesting and unique, if not brand new. What would you tell them? Um, I would say, remember that the combat, it does need to be simple. And, And part of that, the reason for that is because you want to have a lot of it. You know, you don't want to have something where it's like it takes forever to make one single hit. So I really appreciate what you were you were talking about when when uh, you were playtesting that you were specifically looking at how much time was taken during um, just the combat of that game. And I really appreciate that because that's what I think a designer should be focusing on is this balance of uh, because what you're trying to do is create an experience. And if that experience is dragging on. It's not really a fun experience. You want to make sure that uh, that combat adds to the experience and doesn't take away from the experience. So whatever you're adding in, whether it's something that's already been done before or something that is novel, um, just make sure that it is abiding by those rules that 
is it making the experience more fun to play? Something that you would want to pick up, something that you want to uh, invest your time into, something that you want to uh, draw your friends into. Will they enjoy it or will they say, hey, I no longer want to be the friend of that person just because of the game that they like? Um, and so again, that you're trying to create that experience using combat only as a tool for the experience. Absolutely. And Zamuda, you got any closing thoughts? Well, I, I would um, I agree with that. I think for me, and people make games for different reasons and people are drawn to games for different reasons. But again, I really love the the experience it creates, the the narrative, the story that's being told. So I would say make sure that the, the combat system you're choosing or trying to build um, supports and builds that up. And also make sure it's fun, um, especially if you're building it, you're going to be playing it so much um and if you're not having fun <laughs> you're, you're never going to test out all the bugs if you don't really enjoy doing it so um make sure it's thematic and make sure it's fun i think that's that's what i would say yeah that's a really good point make a system you enjoy because you're going to play it a million times more than anybody right. else <laughs> a really good thought yes. <laughs> awesome well gentlemen tell me about the games you got going on right now so jason you guys just uh you had a successful kickstarter for the game wizard's bluff and is that a game that people can still still find where would people go to check that one out yeah, so we had a successful uh, campaign that ended on the 14th of November, uh, and my brother and I are, are working to uh, d- uh, get that game out to people right now, but there is still time. We have not uh, put out the pledge manager, and so we're still collecting people's information if you still want to participate in the pledge manager. You can go to HTTPS, uh, the forward slash um, wizards, oh, excuse me, www.kickstarter.com forward slash projects, forward slash wizards bluff, forward slash wizards bluff. So twice. And that's wizards bluff. That's W-I-Z-A-R-D-Z-B-L-U-F-F. No spaces in between. Cool. And then Zamuda, tell me a little bit more about Arise and and where maybe people can check that one out if they want to find out more. Yeah. So uh, Arise, I've been working on this game for the past uh, six years. It's a super fun uh, single player or cooperative game experience where you're building up a colony and alternating between um, the colony building and then fighting tactical missions to recover resources or earn victory points. Um, we're planning to make this the next Kickstarter campaign that, that Jason does. Um, so that's probably mm-hmm. eight or nine months out, but we're all, we've got, um, we've got it tagged on board game geek, right, Jason? We do. We do. You can go to, uh, search out just arise and you will find, uh, it's arise the first colony. Yes. And then we'll try and get a, a Facebook page up so that, um, there's just somewhere to start. Oh, I did actually get a Facebook oh, page up. Nice. Uh, the Facebook page is, uh, com forward slash Arise the board game. Nice. So that's A R I S E the board game. Very cool. Well, gentlemen, again, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Good luck with those games and uh, fulfilling the games, and then going with the the next Kickstarter and good luck with everything else you got going, you got going on right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gabe. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?